welcome to livealittlehigher.com. I hope you had a beautiful Shavuot, that you received the Torah with love and joy and gratitude to Hashem, that you are able to perceive the great gift that was given to us at Mount Sinai. And today we learn Parasha Naso, it's the second parasha of the book of Padmitbar. And uh, at the end of this uh, very long sidra, very long parasha in the Torah, it describes at great length the offerings brought by the princes of the tribes of Israel at the dedication of the altar. So the 12 princes of Israel, each one brought a gift to the tabernacle. It was exactly the same gift. Everybody gave exactly the same thing, but it, nevertheless, every gift is repeated word by word and each of the 12 princes brought this identical gift this identical present and the midrash has much to say about these gifts so why was it that they did that the torah doesn't say and the tribes of, of, of reuben shimon levi and it enumerates the tribes all brought this gift and why does it have to go one by one stating each gift it's because even though they all gave the same gift the way in which they presented it came with a different uh, feeling so even if two people give the same gift to someone else each person is going to give this gift with a different feeling and that's why they're all enumerated but we see in the Shem Mishmuel, he, he focuses on the gift of uh, the tribe of Ephraim. And the tribe of Ephraim, it says on Bamidbar, on the seventh day, the prince of the children of Ephraim, Elishama ben Amihud, uh, brought the, the, the gift. And Ephraim is the strength of my head. This is said in Tehillim 69. And this refers to the prince of Ephraim who brought his offering at the dedication of, of the altar on Shabbat. So we see that they began bringing the gifts on a Sunday and the tribe of Ephraim with the prince uh, Elishama, they brought this gift to the tabernacle on Shabbat. As the verse says, on the seventh day, the prince of the children of Ephraim, and we know it's Shabbat, demonstrated that the princes started started to bring their offerings on sunday so the verse quoted at the start of the midrash ephraim is the strength of my head refers to the incident at the end of jacob's, jacob's life jacob the father of joseph when he gathered all his children to bless them before he he left this world and when he asked for his grandsons, Menashe and Ephraim, who were the two sons of, of, of Joseph, he did something very strange. He switched his hands to bless these two children. So the right hand went to Ephraim, who was the second son, and the left hand went to Menashe, who was the firstborn. So we see that he chose to bless Ephraim before Menashe, the second son, even though Menashe was the oldest son. And thus Ephraim is the strength of my head, Ephraim was given precedence over Menashe. And this was something that disturbed Joseph tremendously. He didn't like what the father did. So the Midrash implies that it was only because Yaakov favored Ephraim that Elishama would offer this gift on Shabbat. 
But somehow the power which Jacob had, had invested in the tribe of Ephraim enabled their offspring offering to be an exception. And this fascinating Midrash is complicated by the following, because it says in Sifri and not so, it says this one pushed aside Shabbat and Tumah. Tumah means ritual impurity. And although the offering of an individual pushes aside the uh, neither. So uh, the Shem Mishmuel indicates that had any of the princesses come to offer their gift on Shabbat, their donation would have superseded the Shabbat regulations. So any of these tribes could have come and brought their, their offering on Shabbos. Nevertheless, each one came on a different day. And the same would also have applied to the loss of Tumah. The, 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 the loss of Tumah preceded the Shabbat. So what have the blessings of Jacob to do with the ability of a prince to bring a gift on Shabbat? centuries later and how did this affect the other tribes so uh, the Shemishmuel comes and he and he begins to study these um these natures of the two sons of joseph menashe and ephraim and as always the name of a person reveals much about that person so we know that in the case of these two sons joseph named his first son menashe which means, for God has made me forget all of my trouble and all of my father's house. And he named Ephraim, the second son, for God has made me fruitful in the land of the oppression. So the name Menashe finds its root meaning in forgetting, in that after being a slave in Egypt, being sold by his brothers, having to endure being in, uh, in prison, and then he came out uh, to become the viceroy of Egypt, and then he married, and he had these two sons. When he named Menashe, it was like, he was saying like, this boy brings me much comfort, it makes me forget my past. Like, this is a new life, and whatever happened, happened, and this is, uh, this makes me forget. And so this represents a particular sort of divine service, in which one divests oneself of all manner of bad traits, hoping to achieve perfection in their stead. Ephraim, on the other hand, finds its root meaning in fruitfulness. So one is forgetting and the other one is fruitfulness. And this is a different style of progression towards spiritual goals, in which one focuses on developing good traits. So one is all about divesting himself from his bad traits, trying to eradicate his bad temper, his anger, his not being patient, like his stinginess, trying to get rid of all of this. This is Menashe. And Ephraim, on the other hand, is the opposite. He's like, okay, forget about your bad traits and just concentrating the goodness. Concentrating your good qualities and work on your good attitude and work on your good aptitude and your, all your good qualities and just work on them and make them huge. So there's a Tehillim 34 verse 15 that says, walk away from evil and do good. And this is a, a concept in, in Jewish philosophy that we have to walk away from bad bad uh, influences, bad things that can drag us to do not good things and just turn around
around 180 degrees and run and do a mitzvah and go and do good. Um, the, the, the Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, he explains in his Tanya that it's not enough to get rid of your bad character traits, that when a person is refining himself, it's not only about refinement and, 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 and getting rid of any bad habits you have. It's not enough. To be able to be successful in life, you have to go and do good. And, and this is why the Tehillim says it this way. In our context, Menashe means to depart from evil, forget, forget all your past and just concentrate on your future. Whereas Ephraim is in concentrating in, in doing good doing goodness. No matter if you're bad-tempered, it doesn't matter if you're not patient, it's not, doesn't matter that you're stingy, just do good. Like Hashem gives you the opportunity to, to do a mitzvah, forget about your, your characteristics, just go and do it. So if we recall the episode mentioned earlier when Yaakov blessed Ephraim and Menashe, we remember that in actual fact Joseph, the father of these two boys, wanted them to be blessed in order of age. He wanted the father to give the firstborn the first blessing and then the secondborn the second blessing, but Yaakov refused, instead blessing the younger before the older. Understanding this apparent dispute between Yosef and Yaakov will be crucial for us to, to, to understand the, the meaning of why Ephraim was the tribe that brought the gift on Shabbat. So Joseph wanted Menashe to precede Ephraim, that is, he wanted events to follow the order that are described by the verse, first depart from evil and only then do good. Like first get away from evil and then you go and do good. And this, as we would expect, reflected the character of Joseph, who all his life was running away from evil. He ran away from Potiphar's wife. He ran away from bad, bad uh, uh, his Yetzer Harat, enticing him to do things he shouldn't have done. And he was always turning around and doing good. Yaakov, however, chose to bless Ephraim before Menashe within the context that we define this represents a lifestyle in which one first concentrates on performing good deeds. So this is the two ways to doing good. One is run away from evil and do good. And another way to approach this is just like jump over everything and just do good. Don't, don't, don't be, if you're always gonna be doing good, you're not gonna be enticed. So then due to the influx first concentrates on the performing good deeds, then due to the influx of holiness generated by one's new mode of life, any evil traits will automatically dissipate. In Yaakov's view, this approach to life was preferable to his son's mode. So what Yaakov, he believed, is that if a person is busy doing goodness in life, he's not gonna have time to do evil. I, I know a story, it's a famous story, I think it's from the Gemara, of a man who was a very evil man and he wanted to marry a beautiful girl from a certain town. She was like the most beautiful girl, but he was evil, he was a bad person. And when he came to ask her to marry him, she didn't wanna marry this bad man, she was a good woman. And she didn't wanna marry him, so she said, no way. So, but the man was really in love with her. So what did he do? He went to a person that did masks and he made him fashion a mask to put on his face 
which would have a kind face. And he went to her and he, he looked kind and he acted kind. And eventually she fell in love with this kind man and she married him. And throughout their married life, he always was kind. He had to keep this mask on. He had to, to play the role of a good man because he really wanted this lady and he always acted kindly. One day, a person that knew him from his old life, he knew the story. And he came to the town and he said to the wife, you know, you married um, a hoax. You married a guy, you think you married this very kind man, but you actually married such and such who is a very evil man. And she says, no, I cannot believe my husband is the kindest man ever. How can you say this about him? And so the man said, I'm going to prove it to you. And he went to take off the mask. And what happened is that by this man acting kindly, the mask became his face. This is who he was. He became a kind man. So are you good? Are you not good? Are you, are you a good person? Are you not a good person? The question is, what do you do in your life? What, what, what are your actions? Behavior. The behavior determines if you're a good person or a bad person. Yes, we have to refine ourselves. We just came out from the counting of the Omer of refining our midot, we have to constantly be refining our, ourselves, but in reality, we, it, that's not what matters, that's not what matters the most. What matters the most is the way you behave. So we see that, that we must begin our observance of the Torah by seeking mitzvot and learning, assigning, and secondarily role to elimin eliminating the evil. We see that when the Jewish people received the Torah at Mount Sinai, they said to Hashem, we will do and then we will learn. Because if a person waits and waits and waits till he's good, till he refines himself to act goodly, maybe it will take him his whole life. He'll never be a good person. Uh, or a person wants to understand the whole Torah until he starts keeping mitzvot. Maybe he'll never keep mitzvot because he'll never understand the Torah. So what this, this, um, this parasha, this, this sidra is telling us, what this is teaching us in the, in the words of the Shem Mishmuel, is that action precedes everything else. We have to, the way we behave makes a difference in our lives. So the problem with Joseph's approach to life is evident from examining its application to Shabbat. The Shabbat is very holy. Shabbat is the holiest day of the week. And such, perhaps we should engage in great spiritual preparations to be ready to accept its holiness. So the Shem Ishmael says the trouble with this is who would ever say that, they, that he's ready for Shabbat. Like, ask a woman if she's ready for Shabbat. There's always a, another kugel to bake. There's always another dish to make. The house is not clean enough. There's never ending. It's never ending. If you don't put a time to, this is what I'm making for Shabbat and this is it. I'm not gonna do anything else and I'm gonna stop here. Then we're never ready for Shabbat. And, um, and so what he's saying is, is that we would never consider ourselves ready and hence we would never have Shabbat. Instead, we each do our best during the week. So what he's saying is that we have to do the best we can. We have to do 
what we need to do when Hashem presents us with an opportunity to do good, run and take it, go and do it. Don't be thinking, am I ready for this mitzvah? Am I good enough to do this mitzvah? I cannot be a hoax. I cannot be uh, a, a hypocrite with Hashem. You cannot think like this because if you think this way, you're never going to be ready. So, so Yaakov's view was getting on with a life of mitzvot and Torah study, confident that we will ultimately achieve success both as doers and departers. So returning to our original subject, we can now appreciate why Ephraim's offering pushed aside the Shabbat prohibitions. Yaakov's special special um, Yaakov's special selection of Ephraim over Menashe meant that the emphasis in Jewish life was over, forever placed on doing good. So when the prince of Ephraim brought his offering this way, an act of great generosity and shining example of the preference for starting the divine worship of one's tribe with a positive act, this is indicated by the fact that Elishama, the prince of the tribe of Ephraim, brought his offering even though it was Shabbat. And that is the reason why he brought it on Shabbat, is because to do good, there's always time for that. It, it, you don't push it aside, you don't, give, you, you, you don't say, I'm going to do it tomorrow. No, it precedes everything. And this is why. So, so the emphasis on doing good does not apply only to the members of Ephraim. It is since the blessing administered by Jacob, a universal rule applicable to every member of Klal Israel. And this is what it's meant by the Sifri, which claims that any one of the tribes could have offered on Shabbat had it been necessary. Once Yaakov had determined the suitable path for all of his descendants, any one of them could have and would have brought their offerings on Shabbat. So sometimes we have to run away from evil. When we have uh, a temptation in front of us, we just have to run away from it and run and do good. But the approach, Yaakov's approach, is like always look for the good, always try to look for something good to do. Don't wait for it to come to you. You're always, there's always opportunities for good and just go and do it. Once you start doing goodness, the, the, the mitzvah brings a mitzvah. The reward of a mitzvah is another mitzvah. It's the mitzvah itself and it brings another, another mitzvah. Once you're in this, in this uh, snowball of mitzvot, it's never ending. So I wish you a blessed week and remember, live a little higher. Thank you.